I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker for today. Speaker today is Connor Haas. Connor is an associate pastor at Grace Church of Orange, where he serves in the church's youth and young adult ministries. Connor has a Master's of Divinity degree from the Master's Seminary and loves serving among God's people, preaching, reading, and spending time with his wife and daughter. Please welcome Connor Haas. Good morning. Good morning. It is so good to be uh, with you. I am coming from Grace Church of Orange, and some of you know that, maybe remember that. I've been here before, so happy to be back. Pastor Mike and the elders at Grace uh, send greetings. Also, my wife was making fun of me last night that apparently I've told the same joke multiple times that I come from a faraway land, the other side of the 55 freeway. Uh, so this morning, I come from a faraway land, the other side of Chapman, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, with you. If it's okay, can I just pray again and ask that the Lord will bless our time in his word and then we'll dive into it. Father, thank you so much that you speak to us through your word, just like Andrew was, was praying a few minutes ago. Thank you that your word is living and active and we thank you that we can trust in the power of your spirit. Lord, we ask right now that you would open our hearts to receive your truth. Would you exalt Jesus among us? Would you open our eyes to see his glory would you uh, work your truth down deep into our hearts so that it would transform us and help us to live in a way that brings glory to Christ? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So I'd like to start this morning by asking you to imagine yourself inside a scenario. Imagine that tomorrow morning you walk out front or downstairs to your mailbox. As you get the mail, you're shuffling through the normal, you know, slew of Ralph's coupons and junk mail and bills, but then you see an unexpected letter, and it's a letter from an old pastor of yours. In fact, it's a letter from a very beloved pastor. This is the pastor who's had a greater impact in your life than anyone else. This is the person who led you to faith in Christ. This is the person that you would think of as the greatest example in your life of what it looks like to follow Christ, and he's written a letter to you. And so you hurry back inside and you, you tear it open and you want to see what he's written. And he's written for a reason, but before he gets to the, the heart of what he wants to say, there's just a few lines of um, introduction in which that pastor is encouraging you and just talking a little bit about what he's heard of your life. And the question that I want to consider with you today is this. As a Christian, what encouragement would you hope to hear from your pastor? What patterns and qualities would you hope he recognizes in you? Another way of asking that question, what should you be striving toward in your life so that if this were to happen, you'd be blessed and encouraged by the opening lines on that page? And so to answer that question, let's turn, and maybe you're already there, to the little letter of Philemon, which actually is a letter very much like the one that I've just been describing. It's a letter from Paul to Philemon. Paul has been Philemon's pastor, the one who led him to faith in Christ. He's writing to Philemon for a very specific purpose, but before he gets into the heart of what he wants to say to Philemon, there's these little lines of greeting and introduction, specifically verses 4 to 7. And in them, Paul encourages Philemon with a report and a thanksgiving to God of what he's heard in his life. So all I want to do with you today is look at these verses and just say, how can we learn from the way that Paul encourages Philemon and maybe think about it as a template for our own life, um, not so that we could hypothetically please some imaginary pastor, but ultimately so that we could be aiming to live a life that be pleasing to Jesus, who's the great shepherd of the sheep, the pastor of our souls. 
So um, I'm going to read again verses 4 through 7, and then we'll talk through our outline and get going. But starting in verse 4, this is the way that Paul opens this letter to Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Okay, so here's what we're going to do this morning to try to get the meat off the bones. We're just going to ask three questions. Number one, why would your pastor be thankful for you in that letter that he's writing? Number two, how would your pastor pray for you? And number three, what would bring your pastor joy? Why would he be thankful? How would he pray? What would bring him joy? And if you look at the passage, we're not, I'm not trying to be tricky here. Uh, verse four, I thank my God. So we're going to ask, okay, why did Paul thank God? Verse six, I pray. Okay, how did he pray? And then verse seven, I've derived much joy. Okay, what was it in Philemon's life that brought joy to Paul? So with that, let's get into it, and we'll ask this first question to start. You get that letter in the mail, you tear it open, you start to read, why might your pastor be thankful for what he sees in your life? Uh, If you go into a Trader Joe's right now, you probably see a lot of little greeting cards that say in a million different ways, I'm thankful for you. Uh, Paul's a good letter writer, so we start the same way. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And then in verse 5, he gives the reasoning for that. Why is it, Paul, that you're thankful? Verse 5, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So we can start with a simple answer to our question, why would our pastor be thankful, with just a a two-word answer that Paul gives. There's two things in Philemon's life that he's thankful for, and they are love and faith. Love and faith. That's what he says right there. And then we can provide a little bit more detail by asking the question, okay, is there a target or an object for that love and that faith? And there is. If you look at verse 5, he says, I hear of your love and faith. And then he provides us with two targets, faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and then for all the saints. And the, the wording is a little bit tricky, but probably the best way to understand what he's saying is to say that his faith is faith towards Jesus, that's not a brain breaker, and his love is a love towards the saints or towards God's people. And so to just get really simple, like this is like just basic math, one plus one stuff, and this is actually the foundation of everything that we're going to see this morning in the passage, We, we can say this, what a godly pastor would long to see in one of his spiritual children is a heart that, number one, trusts in Jesus, and number two, loves his people. Trust in Jesus, love for the church. Trust in Jesus, love for the church. That's what we're seeing there in verse five. Does it sound simple? It, it, so yeah, it is simple, and I think that's exactly the point. Maybe this morning, in fact, this is exactly what some of us need to hear. Um, for a number of reasons, as we try to live faithfully as believers, it's actually easy to let other variables come and crowd in and, and actually maybe obscure these two foundational and fundamental realities. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, anybody a podcast person? 
Anybody a TV sermon person? Anybody a Christian radio person? Um, do you realize that today, this very day, what's the date? The, the 23rd? The 23rd of July, 2023, you right now, through the thing in your pocket, have access to more Christian content than any community of believers has ever had access to in the history of the Christian church? That's true. That's true. And maybe it's not in your pocket for you, but through your radio or on your TV, whatever it may be, you have, you have access to more, more depth, more breadth of Christian content than any generation previously has, has had by miles and miles and miles. And is it just me? Or does it ever feel like all of that content can start to create a lot of noise and background radiation? Do you know what I'm talking about? You can go on Amazon right now and have your pick of, of literally thousands of good books that would probably be helpful to you as you're trying to grow in Christ. You can go on your TV and have your pick of pretty much any TV preacher that you'd like to listen to. On YouTube, you can listen to any sermon. On Spotify, you can hear any podcast. And all of this can start to come in and crowd out and pollute and convolute things so that our minds are actually distracted from these foundational twin pillars of faith and love. And so God's word needs to reorient us today towards the things that are most essential and actually clarify things. In a second, we'll try to apply this, and I think it's going to be hopefully clarifying. But maybe a picture is this. If you've taken an art class, maybe you remember in the, sh- in the sketching section of the class where you're working with just pen and pencil, or I'm sorry, just pencil and paper, did you ever hear something like this? Be careful that you don't do too much with the shading. You know what I mean? The little you know, stump or something that lets you kind of blur the lines. Some of that's good. It provides texture and contour to the, or uh, you know, uh, depth to the picture. But if you do too much, you start to obscure the primary contours of what you're trying to draw and you mess the whole thing up. And we can do the same thing in our Christian life when there's a thousand variables coming in that are all jockeying for our attention, trying to, trying to you know, persuade us this is the way to evaluate how faithful you are in Christ. Actually, Paul says, no, the things I'm most thankful for, and this is true of any faithful pastor, the things I'm most thankful for in your life, Philemon, are one, you trust Jesus, and two, your life is characterized by love for the church. Another reason that we might be inclined or tempted to look towards other things rather than something foundational, these foundational truths or uh, qualities of faith and love, is actually, and see if you can follow me with this one, sometimes it's much easier to look towards more external, concrete qualities and assess our life based on those than it is to look to faith and love. Just not if, that's, if that makes sense. Maybe, let me try to explain. Um, maybe if you're, put, if you're putting yourself in this situation, um, you know, oh, what is it that, let's say Pastor Craig, what is it that Pastor Craig would be pleased about if he saw it in your life? Well, if you're like me, maybe your mind goes more naturally towards these obvious and tangible and quantifiable external standards. Uh, faithful attendance in church, faithful giving and generosity, consistency in prayer and Bible reading overall knowledge or doctrine or theology. Maybe it's involvement in the music team or the tech team, helping with children's or youth ministry, teaching a Bible class, leading a prayer group, serving in the city soup kitchen or at a park cleanup. Maybe it's moral standards, purity, commitment to your spouse, faithfulness in raising your kids, integrity in the workplace, sobriety, self-control, personal discipline, and the list goes on. All of those things are more external and more concrete 
than the deep heart realities of faith and love. These things are not so easy to measure. You can't easily put them in buckets, but they're actually at the very core of what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, I think we want to just see if we can let Paul direct our attention in terms of our own self-assessment of our walk with the Lord towards these foundations. Um, I don't want to, I have a list of cross-references right here, and I don't think I want to walk through all of them, but if you zoomed out across the whole Bible, in both the Old and New Testament, a theme would actually begin to emerge, that when you talk about the foundational pillars of life in Christ, it really is these two, trust and love. Just to offer a few examples of this, a few other places from Paul, Ephesians 1.15, listen, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. Colossians 1.4, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and love that you have for all the saints. How about John in 1 John uh, 3, commenting on the same idea, commanding it actually, and this is his commandment. What's the Lord's commandment? That we, one, believe in the name of his son Jesus, that's faith, and love one another, just as he's commanded us. Again and again and again, the same theme emerges. And so we can say that all of these other things that I've just mentioned, these are the branches and leaves and fruit of the Christian life. But when you talk about the root, there's really only two roots. There's faith and there's love. And this is, to give a picture, this is the breath, the breathing in and out of our life as we follow Jesus. Faith is doing this. Taking in Christ, trusting in him, receiving his goodness toward us. And love is how we breathe out in response. We love him, and the tangible expression of that is a love that's directed towards his people. And so to to put some kind of handles on this and think about application, um, I think this provides a wonderful opportunity for clarity today in how we might assess our own life in Christ. I'm a simple guy. Maybe you're, maybe you're a simple person too. I got a Casio wristwatch recently that cost me $10. And the instruction manual that came with it, you'd think that it was like teaching me how to run a supercomputer. It was huge. I don't, I don't need that kind of detail. I just want, you know, something simple. And here Paul gives us something simple, faith and love. So let me just give you, in terms of a diagnostic, something that might be able to help you. It would be, you know, if you're trying to, to think about okay, what does my life look like? How is Christ thinking about my life? You could uh, help yourself by asking questions that would assess how these qualities are playing out in your life. So first, with regard to faith, ask, am I at rest in Jesus? When my sin rears its head, do I run to the cross and see the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice? Do I draw strength from his love knowing that he's not only the crucified Messiah, but also the risen king who intercedes in heaven for me and cares deeply for me? Do I trust his sovereignty in my life, thanking him in the best circumstances, but also going back to him again and again with the things that are most painful in my life? Are you resting in him? Do you trust him? And for some of us, I don't know who you are this morning, but if you're here and you're not even a believer, I would just want to say to you that you will never find real rest in this life until you trust in the Jesus that we've believed in. No one else can deal with your sin, but he has on the cross. No one else can provide hope, but he has. He's beaten death and risen from the dead. No one else can love you with the love 
that he does. But if you trust in him, he comes and is present within you by his spirit. So if you're not a believer today, you're cut out from all of the, the best of life, an abundant life here and a life into eternity through faith in Jesus. And I hope that you would think about that and think about what it would mean to come to trust in him. Faith in Jesus, it's ground zero for our life in Christ. It's the very beginning. Second, what about love? With love, you could ask, is my heart towards Jesus and his people characterized by compassion and kindness or disinterest and distance? Is my life marked by genuine care or just flattering niceness? We have some interns at, at the church right now, and I get to oversee them, and they're writing a little reflection paper, and one of them said, I want to be more kind and less nice. And I thought he'd actually put a typo in the paper. I almost, you know, scratched it out. And then I thought, and as he went on, I went, oh, no. I see what he's saying here. He was saying, I want to grow to be more kind, genuinely have a heart that cares for people, and less nice. Nice is just this showing up on Sunday morning, shaking a hand, smiling, being, you know, nice, but having nothing in my heart that moves out towards somebody else. But the life of love that Paul's talking about is a life of real care and kindness. If Jesus were to sit down with me this afternoon, would he commend me for all the ways that I've served him? Or would he... Would, would that conversation go in a different direction? These are good things to, to think about. Um, just one more thing to point out before we move on to our second question, and that's that faith and love in the Bible are like Jack and Jill. They always go hand in hand. And so this can help us because knowing that those two are connected allows us to have more clarity in how we assess our life. Let's say, for example, that you're just thinking or someone is thinking, I know that I have faith in Jesus. My faith is strong. I trust in him. Jesus is my life. But when it comes to love, there's very little real love for Jesus' people in your life. That wouldn't immediately make your faith in him inauthentic, but it would start to maybe send off alarm bells in your mind. Okay, something is not squaring up here, not correct. If I really have faith and trust in him, that's going to work itself out in my life in love. And to take it the other way, maybe you're saying, you know, I want to grow in my love for Jesus' people, but I feel like I just keep hitting roadblocks. I'm not able to, to press deeper into that and to have that kind of a love. Well, maybe you could think, okay, if it's connected with faith, that means that it's actually my faith in Jesus and trust in him that needs to grow. I need to see more of who he is. I need to, to soak up more of his goodness towards me. And that trust in him downstream is naturally going to work itself out in my heart so that I have greater love for his people. So all these things are just good things to think about, and it's Paul's words to Philemon that are letting us just to, to try to get our minds around what is it that a pastor would look at in our lives and say, I'm thankful for that, and I praise God for that. The answer to the first question is that it all comes down to faith and love. Faith in Jesus, the beginning of everything, ground zero for all of our life, and then love for his people. So let's move on to a second question now. Um, and the second question is, how would your pastor pray for you? Go back to that original scenario. You go, you see that letter in the mailbox, you go, you open it up. You've read the first line. He's, he's, he said, I'm, I thank God because your life is characterized by faith in Jesus and love for God's people. Second question though now is that pastor starts to write, and this is how I've been praying for you. Well, what is it that you might hope to see in his prayers? And again, Paul's example here provides us a good template. So let's look at verse 6. Paul says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. All right, in a second we'll get into this, but just a quick kind of word of clarification. 
this verse is a tricky one. Do you ever come across verses when you're reading your Bible and you just think, I need to read that again? And then you read it again and maybe you think, I think I need to read that again? This is one of those verses. It's like a big ball of rope or a bowl of pasta or something. It's a little tangled up. So we're going to try to do our best to unravel it. Um, But all we're going to do to do that is just ask two questions. What is it that Paul prays for, first of all? And then second, how does Paul think that that prayer is going to be answered in Philemon's life? So let's start with that first question. What is it that Paul is praying for in Philemon's life? And if you look at just the first half of the verse, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Okay, so with me, move past for just a moment, that first phrase, sharing of faith, to become effective. And we can start by saying that what Paul is praying for has to do with Philemon's faith becoming fully effective. That word for effective is used only two other places in the Bible. One time it talks about an open door for effective ministry being thrown open at the end of 1 Corinthians, In another instance, it's actually already been referenced this morning several times, the word of God is living and active, active. I think we got like a B plus on that quiz. The word of God is living and active. That's the same word. It's effective. It has the idea of something that has been uh, tuned to operate with maximum efficiency for the job that it's been uh, created for. Remember those old Volkswagen, you know, bugs, and you have to take it in the shop, and somebody has to actually, like, tune the engine? That's the idea of this word. Paul's praying that Philemon's faith would become effective. Um, looking back at the beginning of the verse, if you're reading an ESV, can you just put up a quick hand? I think that's probably most of us. Maybe you have the NIV, ESV. I'm not sure what translation you're reading. But if you're in the, v, in the ESV, it says this, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And when I hear that, it sounds to me like Paul is talking about evangelism. Oh, sharing your faith, going and telling other people about Jesus. Well, actually, that's not what's going on here. The word that he uses for sharing is the word for community or fellowship or Christian unity. And so actually what he's getting at is the idea that Philemon has this faith towards Jesus, the foundation of his faith, and it's being played out in the context of the community of God's people. And, and the way, we could summarize it by saying, the way that Paul's really playing, uh, praying for Philemon is this. God, please cause Philemon's faith, practice within the context of your church, to grow and blossom so that it is increasingly effective. It's increasingly effective. Like an athlete that improves its game, uh, uh, or his game, or her game, or a machine that's able to do the job for which it's intended, or a musician who trains and practices that they, he or she will achieve mastery. Paul says, Philemon, when I, when I stop and pray for you, this is what I'm praying for you. You already have faith and love, but I'm praying that your faith would be like a flower that blossoms and grows. I'm praying that your faith would become more and more effective so that you would be maximally useful in Jesus' hands to be a blessing to others. Um, I think the negative side of this would be to say that there are lots of people who come to faith in Jesus, but then it's like for a number of reasons, their faith doesn't seem to be growing towards maximum effectiveness. And maybe, maybe you felt like that's been the case with you at times in your life. Maybe you've known believers like this, where it seems like there's just a little bit of stagnancy. It's like 
the, you know, I, I have a, a little balcony in our condo and I try to grow plants. Usually I just kill them. I don't water them enough. It's like, you know, I'm waiting for them to grow and then I'm like, wait a second, I haven't watered this in three weeks. No wonder that it's, you know, just dying on the vine. Uh, Paul says, Philemon, I don't want that to be the case for you. I want your faith to grow, to be big and strong and robust and full and mature so that with each passing day and week and month, not all at once, but slowly, you would be more and more and more equipped and capable to be a blessing to the other believers around you and to play the part that God has given you to play. Let me, to just put a picture next to this, let me give you a negative kind of example. And I'm not really proud of sharing this, but when I was little, probably eight or 10, my parents got me a snake for my birthday, a pet snake. They, they um, yeah, I'm a little amazed, you know, looking back. They obviously never read Genesis 3, so I don't know what they were thinking, but they got me a pet snake, and one, when we got the snake, um, an uncle, actually, who'd had snakes before, said, hey, the pet store is going to tell you that the snake needs to eat once a week, but actually, really, it only needs to eat once a month, and I thought, I have no reason to doubt my uncle. He's, he's, you know, he's a pro with this stuff. Cool. Pet store says once a week. Nope. Actually, I'm just going to give this snake a mouse once a month. And so I had the snake for probably four or five years. And instead of feeding it every week, like they had advised us to, I was feeding it like once a month. Well, after four or five years, I was not so hot on the snake anymore. I thought, you know what? I think I'm just going to bring this back to the pet store, kind of call it a day. We bring it back and they, they look at it and say, oh, is this a juvenile? And I said, uh, well, actually, I wasn't there. My parents were there. But they said, um, no. And in relaying this story, they said, you know, we were really tempted to lie and say yes. But we had to say, no, this snake is about five years old. And the pet store people look at them with this look of shock. And they walked them over to the, the cage where the four to five-year-old snakes were. And they were like two to three times its size, twice in length and big around. This snake was like two feet long and maybe an inch and a half wide. Um, that's my story. Uh, silly story and analogy, I know. But the point is this. Apart from the right resources coming into your life, and we'll see this in just a moment, your faith is going to be like that snake that's just only barely growing when it could be exploding and growing slowly towards a robustness and a maturity, towards maximum effectiveness for Jesus. This is what your elders pray for for you, among many other things. Practical needs, absolutely, yes, but I'm sure that when they get together and they're praying for the body, what they're praying for is, Lord, these people already do trust in you, and they've already evidenced a love for your people. But would you please grow that faith, nurture it, bring it towards maturity and wholeness so that they would be able to have maximum impact and effect for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. That's what God wants to do in your life. And the, the way that he does it is given to us as well by Paul. So we've answered the question, what does Paul want in Philemon's life? What would a pastor want in your life? He'd want that your faith would grow to be maximally effective. But what about the means? How would that happen for you? And to, de uh, to see that, we just want to look at the second half of the verse. So again, in verse 6, Paul says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So again, we're dealing with kind of a, a, you know, a bunch of pasta or something. It's a little tangled up, and there's some different ideas jumbled around. But I think if we could say it simply, what Paul's trying to drive at is this. 
He's saying that the context in which this maturing is going to happen is the context of full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. To put it even more simply, the way that we grow to have maximally strong and effective faith is through knowledge. It's through knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. And so practically, this means that if you're, if you're, you know, as a believer saying, Lord, I desire to grow in my faith towards maximum effectiveness, just like Paul prayed for Philemon. The road towards that is to then say, and Lord, please, would you open my eyes to see how good you've been to me in Jesus? I, I want to know him more. I want to see more of his glory. Um, there's, there's, a lot of texts, and we don't have to go to all of them, but a lot of texts that tell a similar story, that the way that we grow is through our minds being transformed through knowledge. Romans 12.2 obviously comes to mind, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Colossians 3.10, almost exactly the same point. Believers have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator renewal into maturity in Christ happens as our minds are transformed by the truth of God's glory expressed towards us in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. Um, Psalm 34, verse 8, says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I think that the way that we can drive this home is just to say, if we want to grow to be maximally strong and effective in faith, and we know that the road towards that is knowledge, maybe what could help things start to click for us is to recognize that the kind of knowledge that grows us towards this mature faith is not just an intellectual knowledge, but also an experienced and an emotional knowledge as well. It's, it's truth that needs to come in, the truth of who God is. It's truth that needs to come into our minds, but then through our minds to move to our hearts, to thrill our souls so that we're excited about all that we see of God's glory given to us in Christ. We meditate on the gospel, we think about that, and slowly, not all at once, but slowly, the Spirit is using this to transform us and move us more and more into the image of Christ and towards fully effective and mature faith. Um, practically, and this is just encouragement from one to another, uh, one believer to another, I would say that in our context and culture, um, oftentimes at least, we're doing okay on the receiving intellectual knowledge side of things. Uh, where we might need to grow is in meditation and in prayer. When was the last time, if ever, you were able to take a few quiet moments and just let one verse sink into your heart, to pray about it, to think about it, to meditate on what it's saying, to see how it reveals to you truth about who God is, how that might impact your life, how it meets all of your needs. Um, these are the kinds of things, the kind of knowledge that can eventually have this faith-strengthening impact in our lives, and it's something that we want to pursue. So again, if you were to receive this note from your pastor, you've, you've already uh, heard him say, I thank God because you have faith in Jesus, you have love for the saints. What is it that he might pray for you, though? And it would be something I would imagine like this. I pray that that faith that you have would grow increasingly effective and robust, that you would have maximum impact on the lives of the people around you for the cause of Jesus Christ, and that's going to happen as you grow in knowledge. Okay, so with that, let's transition to our third question. And the question now 
is what would bring your pastor joy? So this is the last thing that we're going to ask, and to answer it, we'll look at verse 7. What would bring your pastor joy if he were to write that letter to you? Verse 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So here, Paul is moving from what he's praying for to what he's brought, uh, what's bringing him joy in Philemon's life. And now he's, after he's expanded on the idea of Philemon's faith, he's going back to the idea of love. And he says, it's your love that's brought me so much encouragement and joy. And as he explains in the second half of the verse, he says, it's because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Just a few observations quickly here. Um, First, that it's the hearts of the saints. The word that, that Paul uses for hearts is not the normal Greek word for heart. It's actually a word that physically refers to like your guts. And emotionally it refers to the deepest part of your soul, the deepest emotional center of who you are. Uh, and when he says refreshed, that's the idea actually of an army coming home from battle and finally putting down their swords and having a time of peace rest, refreshment, relaxation. So putting the ideas together, Paul says, what is it that I'm so thankful for and has brought me so much joy? It's that other believers have had the deepest emotional part of who they are, the deepest part of themselves, rested and refreshed because of your love towards them, Philemon. And that's a model that would be, it's so helpful for us to think about. Um, Let me ask you a question, just as something to think about. Um, When you think about your life, Are there other Christians around you, maybe people in this room, who would look at you and say, I would not be the Christian that I am were it not for Susan, were it not for John, were it not for Joe? On the final judgment day, when we're standing before the Lord and giving account for our lives, are there people who who would say, I wouldn't be standing here were it not for Billy, or I wouldn't be the believer that I became if it weren't for so-and-so's influence in my life. Is there anybody in your life who would look to you and say, that person, they are having an influence on me for the sake of Jesus and the gospel? In the case of Philemon, he was. The hearts of the saints were refreshed through him, and that's what the Lord wants to do through us toward one another. What kind of an impact are you having? Um, just Just a way of picturing this and illustrating this Does anybody remember a TV show called Mythbusters? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a few of us? Okay, okay. I don't think it's on anymore, and it's probably definitely not popular, but the premise was that these these people would try to test these myths. Uh, You know, like, if you get punched, will it really knock your socks off? That kind of thing. Um, One of the tests that they did was just how contagious a common cold would be if somebody showed up with a runny nose to a dinner party. I don't know if anyone remembers an episode like this, but what they did was they took a little tube that just had a tiny drip of water simulating a runny nose, and within that water, there was some kind of like luminescent material that would show up under a black light. And so they said to this person, just walk into the room, have a normal dinner, you can, you know, be wiping your nose, and um, you know, as you go and, and, and whatever around the table, we'll just see how far this thing spreads. And so they have a normal dinner. You're probably thinking, I don't think it's going to be that impactful. Well, anyways, when the dinner ends, everybody leaves the room. The lights go off, and they turn the black light on. And the, the entire table almost just lit up, revealing that this person's uh, simulated, you know, runny nose had just gotten all over. And I think even over the people, too. It was like, wow, wow sorry. That'll wake you up in the morning. Uh, 
It was like, how did that, you know, spread so far? Um, I know it's a negative example, but if you could go there with me on the positive side, if the lights were to go out in the room here and the black light of God's omniscience flicked on, who else in the room would be lit up through the influence of your life? Who else would be glowing with the light of your impact? Um, Silly picture, but maybe helpful to think about. Is there anybody else who's being impacted by your life? That's what a pastor would want to see. That's what Jesus wants to see in us, that the hearts of other believers are being refreshed by our life. As we move towards uh, closing and start to land the plane, the only other thing to say this morning is this. If we read the rest of the book of Philemon, we would realize that Paul has a really hard ask to make of Philemon. And the ask is, hey, Philemon, you had this slave run away from you, a crime that probably would have been potentially deserving of capital punishment in that culture, but I've met him, he's become a Christian through me, and I need you to receive him back, and I need you to embrace him as a brother. That's a hard ask that Paul makes of Philemon. And I think the final kind of closing punchline for all of us this morning is, if I'm thinking about all these things in my life, if I want my life to be characterized by faith in Jesus, love for his people, if I want my faith to grow in effectiveness, if I want my love to impact others, part of that means that I want to cultivate the kind of heart that would be prepared to do that really hard thing when and if it does come up in front of me. And we know that it's not if, it's when. There's going to be these pressure points, these moments where to really obey Jesus is going to take sacrifice. It's going to mean that I'm going to have to do that thing that I might not want to do. How am I cultivating a heart now that would allow me to respond in those moments and say, Jesus, I just want to serve you, whatever it is. That person that, that's wronged me that I need to forgive, yep, I want to do it. That person um, that, I, that for any number of reasons I don't want to embrace back into fellowship, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. It could be a lot of things. But when that hard decision comes, are you cultivating a heart now that would prepare you to respond in a way that would be honoring to Christ? Three questions. What would make your pastor thankful? How would he pray? And why would he have joy because of your life? At the end of the day, really all of what Paul says comes back to those first two pillars that we saw, faith and love. That's what life in Christ is all about. If, as you evaluate your own life, your walk with him this morning would just be a reminder to say, can you return to these foundations? Do you trust in Jesus? Is your life characterized by love for his people? And is that faith and love growing and maturing towards what it should be in Christ? None of us are sufficient for these things. We all fall short. And that's why we desperately need the gospel to trust in Christ all over again, that his blood has paid for our sins, that he's risen again. And that's a great uh, place to end and encouragement for us this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth that we've seen in the book of Philemon this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that you would cause your word to move into our hearts, to transform us. Lord, I pray for anybody in the room who's been feeling burdened, maybe weighed down, and I pray that just that simple thought that really Christianity is about faith and love would be an encouragement to them this morning. Lord, I pray that where there's sin in our lives, you would expose it, convict it, would you, uh, convict us. Would you help us to be, by your Spirit's power, the kind of people who walk faithfully with you? And it's all in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.